Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys. We're a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of those guys. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm the other. I'm Ben Harrison. <laughs> Everyone's here, Ben. All all two of our people. We have a we have a quorum. <laughs> <laughs> we can now enact legislation. How are you doing, man? It feels like it's been a while since I've done a check-in. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel like I don't quite know what to do with myself because we had so much intensive Trek podcast related work before our tour. And then we both, I think, came home to fairly busy times. And now I'm like, oh, I don't have a full work week of shit to do about my podcast. So... (laughs) I guess I should do real work then. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the uh, the frothy mix of real work and podcast work together, <laughs> that's not fun. That gets everywhere. Yeah, it gets all it, it's, over. It spills all over the rest of your life, is what it does. Mm-hmm. I think that that, like, that span of about a month where it was tour and tour prep uh, really proved to me that I... I have uh, a high tolerance for the less fun parts of this very fun project. <laughs> you know? I, too, prefer pod, Ben. Mm-hmm. TBH. <laughs> two out of two podcasters prefer pod. <laughs> uh, I got another piece of mail here, but I don't know if you want to do mail twice in a row. Oh, I don't mind doing mail twice in a row. If we've got the mail, I say rip into it. I've got the mail and the time. Let's do it. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. Heavy box here, Ben. From Amazon. What? Amazon is sending us mail directly to our P.O. box. That P.O. box, of course, is 1037 Northeast 65th Street. Number two... 63, Seattle, Washington, 98115. Throw away all other addresses you may have for us. Yeah. They go nowhere. (laughs) Oh, boy, these are books. These are books from Amazon. What do we got? Oh. 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 Hold on. Are they porno books? I... I just flung my notes across the room. All right, there's a note in here. A gift for you. Have a look at it before I'll send my commercial P1 message, written by two German physicists and a Canadian cartoonist who didn't spell check or proofread for us, so strap in for bad English. Have fun! (laughs) Best Benjamin. What we have here, Ben, is a book for each of us. They are the same book. The book title is Quirky Quarks. A Cartoon Guide to the Fascinating Realm of Physics. Oh, that sounds fun. This looks like the college textbook from the cool physics professor. Yeah. Like like the one that you want to take even though you're not a physics major because it's so much fun and the teacher's cool. 
It sort of sounds got- like the part of college where I took screenwriting courses for like three years straight and decided I wanted to get into Jung. But when I <laughs> went and got some actual books by Jung, I didn't understand them. So then I went and got a graphic novel about Jung. The only class in college I ever failed was a logic class, and I I punched out before I could fail it. Like I just <laughs> left it. it. Things were going so poorly for me, I had to drop the class. One of my best friends is like is like naturally predisposed to being good at that stuff, and I will occasionally just be a fly on the wall while he has a conversation with somebody else who is good at it, and uh, makes me feel real dumb. I thought philosophy classes would just be about uh, how pain don't hurt and stuff. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> like, uh, like the this the philosophy classes that Dalton from Roadhouse took uh, must have been far different than the ones that were available to me. Yeah, <laughs> you were in the wrong kind of school. I think he was in the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, That actually gives us a good pivot into show, Ben. Uh, Speaking of homeschooling, uh, the episode we have on the docket today is Adventures in Homeschool, featuring Worf and Alexander. It's season seven, episode 21. Firstborn. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. This show open starts with Worf practicing a speech like any good parent he wants to get it right this appears to be some sort of birds and bees speech he wants to give alexander a boy inevitably becomes a man something about becoming a man and and your growing penis and testicles a warrior must be forged like a sword (laughs) alexander i've noticed the things that you are sculpting in sculpting class are (laughs) becoming (laughs) more and more vaginal (laughs) <laughs> Which means it's time for me to tell you about a changing Klingon body. It was inevitable when you made a clay mold of your forehead and then saw what <laughs> happened when you just pushed the sides of it together a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we get a fun return of Eric, the terrible class sculptor who who wings a water balloon at Wharf. <laughs> oh man, one of my greatest... One of my greatest delights in editing this show was when you accidentally said the phrase Eric B. story, and I got to use <laughs> a drop from an Eric B. and Rakim song. Yeah. One of the, one of the, I was so fucking pleased when that happened. Just felt someone, like a key going into a lock. <laughs> someone somewhere saw the performance of Eric a couple episodes ago and thought... <laughs> That kid's got it. Sorry. <laughs> Let's bring him back he's for one this of the, water balloon scene. He's one of the regular kids. Wow. I wish we could go back and put him in where Jay Gordon was. Can we see the battle bridge? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> Can we George Lucas him into the old episode? RSVP Jay Gordon. <laughs> It sort of ruins Worf's whole, like, Worf was semi-composed before this, but then he gets the water balloon winged at him, and he's like, Alexander, I'm just trying to tell you about growing up. I'm getting hit by Eric's balloons. This fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have great wetness continuity in this scene, because <laughs> no. we cut to Worf, like, attempting to do the speech that he was like, you know, he was like 90% off book before he got 
water ballooned, and now he's just putting parts in the wrong order, saying that a man becomes a sword. He's sort of word salading this. Yeah, it's not good. Worf's going on and on about what a Klingon bar mitzvah is. He's like, yeah, it turns out got... they have two bar mitzvahs. Yeah, uh, one one is painstick bar mitzvah, the bar mitzvah that we're familiar with. Another one is related to a scented candle and some classes. <laughs> you pick a tour portion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, uh... Uh, Alexander. Not thrilled about the prospects of this. I don't want to be war here. Alexander is looking more like a grown-up lady than he ever has in this episode. I feel like he's just like gotten taller but not put on any weight or something. Yeah, he's still orange on top of a toothpick as far <laughs> as, as body type goes. Yeah. He's still carrying around that giant head. But uh, yeah, Worf is doing the like domineering father thing that works wonders on some kids but uh alexander is the is the rejected hard type and so he basically like flips the candle table and runs out of the room what do you think a klingon scented candle smells like <laughs> like there's those stupid candles now that like get a candle for your man cave that smells like beer mm-hmm. like do you think that's what he's got? Some stupid novelty candle that smells like blood? Some toxic masculinity <laughs> candle? <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, he, he, he bought he bought it in a uh, in a store that has mercantile in the name. This candle is made from your mother's melted body. <laughs> a warrior's scent. Worf is pretty hurt by this, but he's also concerned. It's not just the the pain of a father who's seeing his son not want to follow in his footsteps. There's like real consequences to this. Like if you don't prescribe to the warrior code at the time the warrior code must be gone through, then you get set behind for a long time and it has like li- a lifetime of consequences. So Worf is not only disappointed, he's He's legit concerned about Alexander and his future. I mean, this was the argument that my parents made to me when it came time to be confirmed into the church I was raised in. It was right. like, I was like, ah, I'm like an adolescent and this seems boring and lame and I don't want to do it. And they're like, yeah, but like you'll really regret it later if you want to have done it and didn't. Which is like a, a form of logic that only applies to stuff like that and never applies to, I don't know, wanting to recreationally use drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, or like fuck a lot when you're a kid. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, don't fucking say that unless it applies everywhere. Yeah. Hey, you're in your 20s. You should plow tons of puss. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be in your mid-30s and married and look back on your 20s and been like, man, I didn't have sex with hardly anybody. I wish I crushed way more puss back in the day. (laughs) Where were you then, Dad? Yeah. (laughs) I left so much puss uncrushed. It's a real shame. (laughs) You can't leave all that puss on the table. Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyways, um, we come back from our opening sequence and Picard has assembled a McLaughlin group that is basically exposition for him not being in the rest of the episode. I shall use this opportunity to visit the Hatterian system. There are some ancient ruins that are just being excavated. What's that about? 
I don't know. Maybe he had some paid time off he needed to go do. <laughs> yeah, you've you've earned a lot of extra weeks, Peace Stew. Uh, if you could just take them now, that would be great. He's reading ahead to the series finale script, and he's like, holy shit, I kind of have a lot to do coming up. I'm going to take some time. This was due to Patrick Stewart being scheduled to host Saturday Night Live during the week of the episode's filming. Really? Yeah. That is awesome. Is that the uh, is that the SNL appearance where he does the Love Boat Star Trek mashem up? Yeah, he only hosted the one time, so that was it. Very cool. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the 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 meeting is like mainly about how Picard isn't going to be there, but also they wedge in Worf being detached and not paying attention, and they have a kind of like. Picard says, like, Mr. Worf, stay after class to him. Yeah. And, uh, and Worf is like, sorry, I, uh, I will never let a personal matter come in between me and my duty again. And it's like, Worf, we have this problem every season. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. We know that's not true. His yearly review, like, where he has to list his five goals for the coming year, all five of those <laughs> goals are do not become distracted by your personal business. And yeah. every time... He always needs improvement in those areas. And, like, why is it that sometimes Picard is like, you better get the fuck off the ship and resign your commission if you want to act like that? And other times he's like, yeah, we'll divert a thousand-person crew around a nebula so that you can take your son to a fucking Klingon Ren fair. Nice restraint for Worf, though, not just lighting a fire in the middle of the conference room table, though. Like, I, guess, <laughs> I guess by not going that far... He appeals to Picard's sense of generosity here. So they go to the Ren Fair, and uh, it's such a funny smash cut because Picard is like, oh, well, maybe you need to expose your son to the rich cultural heritage that he's a part of, and then smash cut to, like, some of the lamest... (laughs) Some of the most weak sauce Klingon shit we have ever seen. It's really not a good look for the Klingons here. (laughs) It is so dumb. (laughs) I went to Deadwood last year for a video project, and they totally did this every day. Like, every day at 2 o'clock, we reenact a shootout in the main... Like, shootout on Main Street. And it's, like, (laughs) guys doing duels and, like, falling out of second floor windows into hay bales (laughs) and, like, all that shit. And that's what this looks like to me. Butter knife batleths, like, barely clanging against each other and sing-songy Klingon being yelled. It's it's really made for kids. You know what it kind of reminded me of is um, this... Mexican family restaurant in Denver, Colorado called Casa Bonita <laughs> that was uh, famously depicted in an episode of South Park. Right. Um, I went there, like, I was in Denver on a work trip uh, a few years ago and we went there and, uh, like, there is, like, a grotto with a, with a waterfall and, like, and, like, local kids get uh, hired to portray little, like, cowboy and Indian, uh, like, plays on using the grotto as the set (laughs) and like you know there's a lot of like excuses for a kid to have to jump in the water and Mm -hmm. stuff but uh yeah like the 
the the play acting is just like so shamefully bad. <laughs> it really adds to the experience. Yeah. This scene is fairly cringy, but I do like the idea of like the cool parts of this scene are is the visit to a different culture, the currency that is used to buy like Klingon Cracker Jack. Like <laughs> all that all that marginal stuff story-wise is stuff that I really like. Like I like yeah. uh, I like eating street food out of a bag. That's fun. How do you get the job of just getting to like concept all that stuff out? I think it should be us, Adam. I think that's the job that we would be good at. Yeah, I think so too. The deal is they're watching this kind of play acting of a re- it's like a reenactment of a Kalas story where Kalas killed a tyrant and uh, all these different warriors like tried to fight the tyrant and failed and uh, and like Worf gets in on the action and then like play acting gets killed by the tyrant and Alexander gets in on the action and he's like you can like his little performance is pretty good for a kid like you can see him start to like kind of get like into it and get excited by it and stuff what is this hey like I would say that Brian Bonsall maybe does better fake sword fighting than anybody else. Yeah, he's really winging the thing around, and he's actually making contact. It looks like he actually practiced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he wounds the reenactor in the process. Which he's not happy about. Yeah, <laughs> that guy's just like a uh, out-of-work actor, and he's like, hey, man, what the fuck? I you know, I'm waiting d- tables here. I do this for free. <laughs> so uh, they like finish the scene, and then it's like later in the night, and Worf is like is like out in this same courtyard looking for Alexander, and Alexander's like, "Yo, Dad, I need some money." What for? Well, the man over there says he has Muller's head in a box. The real one. And uh, Worf has to explain to his child who has grown up in a moneyless society what a scam is. <laughs> it's so great. I wish we saw a head in a box guy, though. Like, I wanted yeah. to go along with Alexander. That would have been great. Yeah. Ben, if you ever want to do a head in the box scam, step one, put your head in the box. <laughs> step two, show Alexander the box. Oh, Adam. And that's the way well, unfortunately, Alexander doesn't get to uh, go go uh, get ripped off for his first time because they get set upon by bad guys. And they're like mid-fight when a guy in Klingon warrior garb disruptors one of the one of the assailants and then Worf kicks the rest of their asses. He gets into a great Star Trek fight here. Yeah, it's a fucking awesome Star Trek fight. This might be the high point of the episode for me. Worf is so big as a person that he just tears through them. Like, he seems big for a Klingon because these other runty Klingons come at him and Worf, <laughs> Worf basically treats him like that ensign in, uh, in Klingon Tai Chi class. Like, he just flips them to and fro. Yeah, I'm curious about these Klingons because they're, like, definitely honorless type dudes, yeah. right? Like... A Klingon warrior is not catching somebody off guard at night in the barrio and trying to knife them. Yeah. So there's like this whole class of 
Klingons that are are not that, but are willing to do hits. And we've seen them a couple of times. We've never really like explored what that is that much. Yeah, it'd be neat to know more about like the the Klingon offshoots, the cast outs, if you will. Those would be fun stories to tell. Yeah. It must be hard to find ones that are actually good at fighting, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why you're a cast out. You're just terrible at fighting. <laughs> this guy sucks. We put three of them on this one dude and his kid. Yeah, uh, the only thing you're good for is botched back alley hits. (laughs) So they find this knife, and uh, they head back up to the ship with the dude that helped Worf. And uh, the dude that helped Worf is Kemtar, who is related to uh, Worf's family in a really serious way. Yeah, because he's got the ring, right? This ring signifies that he's in the house of Moog. Yeah. He knows the secret four-step handshake. He knows the mm-hmm. whole thing. Yeah, he's he's Gintok to them, which means like... The advisor so trusted he has become part of the family. Closer than friend, closer than family. He's sort of like their Guinan. Yeah, and like he talks about the house of Moog like our family. Yeah. Like he's he's totally kissed in and... It's a weird retcon for that to be the case because he was never around in any of the other Worf's families in hot shit episodes. Is he like, is he just, is he new to the family via Worf's brother? Is that the idea? I mean, here's the thing, Ben. He he states who he is to the degree that Worf stops asking questions, and that's important. He's like, yeah, Kern sent me to watch your back because your back clearly needs watching uh, because of what just happened in this back alley. And Worf's like, yeah, that checks out. Your ring matches my ring. You know all of our family stories. Good enough for me. It seems like you could be able, you should be able to replicate the ring, right? This is the thing Did- about Worf, though. He never trusts but verifies, you know? Like, he's he's trust only. <laughs> It would be very easy for him to verify this, and he never does. Least vigilant security chief. Yeah, yeah. Riker's like, cool, well, if Worf likes you, you can have quarters here on the ship. Uh, let's hang out. Needs improvement, Worf. Riker's being really nice to Kemtar, and Kemtar's being a real shithead. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Riker takes a ton of guff in a way that he would never take from anyone who wasn't closely closely related to Worf, right? Like, this is a yeah. because they're best friends thing. He's willing to eat all this shit. Riker's like, who who tried to kill you? What's the deal? And Kemtar's like, this is none of your affair. <laughs> like, really, man? Like, that's my best bud. I feel Ke- like I should know. Kemtar, I've fucked my way through worse situations <laughs> than this. Do your worst. Have Have you ever read about what happened to the Pach? <laughs> the legend of the Pach should be like like Klingon <laughs> Klingon story worthy. <laughs> they have a whole holiday around it, but it's not this time of year. And then Riker refused to fuck the female Klingon doctor in the cafeteria, <laughs> and it was good. It's not bathless that they hit each other with in that festival. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, there's some kind of, like, elaborate hand-waving around why Kemtar didn't warn them that he was being sent to 
stop this hit on on Worf, but Kern, Worf's brother, like put him onto the case, and so he's going to be on on the ship helping them get to the bottom of who tried to kill Worf. This is great timing, right? Because Kemtar is like a super serious full-time Klingon, and Alexander is having a little crisis of faith ahead of his bar mitzvah 1.0. And uh, and so Kemtar does like, like tucks him in at night. And it's like, like, that was pretty scary when those dudes tried to kill your dad, right? Yeah, well, if you if you had uh, if you'd had a bar mitzvah, it wouldn't be so scary because you'd be a grown ass man. <laughs> the scene is supposed to be played sincerely, but like the picking up of the picture frame with Kalar in it, it seems like very <laughs> very darkly manipulative. It really is. It's and it's like weirdly schmaltzy for Klingon shit, like. He's trying to sell him on living on Kronos by saying that Worf's brother's house has like a beautiful lake next to it. Majestic fountains, miles and miles of biking and walking paths, and abundant tropical and native landscaping. Is that like the selling point of Kronos is like going swimming in a lake? Kimtar sort of sells Alexander on the idea of a Camp Klingon where his cousins <laughs> want to meet him and there's like a lake teeming with loathed Klingon fish. <laughs> the idea of that sounds super cool, but he doesn't sell it all the way. Like the end of the story should be, so you want to go? Why don't mm-hmm. we get why don't we send you there? But he doesn't. Like that that didn't make any sense. Like and also everything that Kimtar tells Worf is true W slash R slash T Alexander growing up to be a human boy instead of a Klingon boy, like I get the sense that Klingons don't have a choice. They go to Battle Academy, they get a bunch of scars, they get hazed to within a second of their death, and then they come yeah. out the other side fully formed warrior people. Like, There's something that goes unsaid about Worf's reluctance to send Alexander there, and that's what I wanted more than anything. Like, The idea that Worf gives Alexander the choice doesn't ring as true to me as Worf's true feelings, with ha- which has to be, I don't want to put Alexander through that. I'm afraid for him. I thought this was like a pretty amazing bit of writing. Like I, I had a conversation a couple of years ago with a friend of mine who is black and his wife is white and they're uh, contemplating having children. And mm-hmm. that is like a a real thing. Like they've talked about the fact that like their children will be black and will be seen by everybody else as black and that there are like all of these things that that like she won't have had any experience with when that happens because it's like harder and different to be black in America and Kemtar says like nobody is going to see you as human Alexander like they are going to see you as Klingon and I thought that was a great metaphor for that like yeah the the way our culture treats race is being perfectly analogized in this in this scene and uh i feel like anybody watching that like can kind of learn something there potentially yeah and alexander is too young to really get that you know he's feeling like he is just like anyone else on the ship but kim tar is like you can be here forever and you're still gonna look like a guy with loaf on his head it is a 
they're pretty sure that the House of Duras has something to do with this this hit because the knife that they recovered from the would-be assassins has a Duras crest on it. So uh, Riker has been keeping up with the current events of the day and knows that the Duras sisters recently visited Deep Space Nine. So they get Quark on the phone. I see you remember me. How could I forget the only man ever to win triple down Dabo at one of my tables? <laughs> Quark uh, apparently owes Riker a bunch of money. This is our first time seeing Quark in the context of our podcast show. And yeah. Quark is automatically, in the three minutes that he's on screen, maybe the coolest Ferengi we've seen so far. And yeah, the by reason a, by a million miles. <laughs> by a million miles. And the reason why is that he's just poised. That's all it takes. He is a poised person who is in control he, he, of his faculties. He's a he's a character that has dimensionality. He's right. not he doesn't have like a single want and need. Yeah. Uh, and so like they get some information about what the Duras sisters were up to via Riker forgiving this debt. Which is funny because, like, like Cork is around Federation people all the time. He's got to know that like money is meaningless to them, but sure. still, it's meaning. It's very meaningful to him. So, like, he's happier to have the debt forgiven than not, I guess. And um, he, uh, so he for- he forgives the little debt. Uh, they get the information that the Dura sisters have been attempting to do some mining on a planet controlled by the Packleds. Which has got to be, like, the slowest-ass mining operation ever, right? <laughs> no, but they're, like, stealing the ore. Like, the Packlids don't know that they're they're sitting on a gold mine. The Packlids don't know a lot of things that they're sitting on. <laughs> so they're, they're off to look into this mine, and uh, meanwhile, Kemtar has programmed up a... Klingon calisthenics program for Worf and Alexander to have a go at just killing some bad guys. <laughs> and uh, we know that Alexander has, like, been into this, you know? Yeah. Like, he's he's definitely done Worf's fitness program a bunch. But when it comes time to, like, swing the batleth over his head and take out his uh, his digital attacker, he catches feelings and he, like, storms out. If this was real, he'd be dead by now. And uh, and so he runs out, and uh, and you know that is like Kemtar, kind of deciding that Worf is not doing great in in terms of preparing Alexander for life as a Klingon. And you know there are times in this episode where Kemtar is squishily correct slash incorrect <laughs> in what he's teaching, but this is as on the nose as it gets. Alexander fails to kill an assassin. The assassin gets up and tries to kill him. None of this matters to Alexander. He's like, I don't care. Like, I guess he could have killed me or whatever. Bye. <laughs> this is like the low point of of the Alexander story. He seems disinterested in in even saving his own life, whether or not it's related to going the way of the warrior or not. Like, he's just sort of meh, whatever. <laughs> and that's got to be concerning for everyone involved. It's not just a Klingon culture thing. Yeah. So the get to the planet where the Dura sisters were allegedly mining or illegally, and uh, 
the episode is like, hey, remember Georgie and Data? <laughs> They're still characters on this program. <laughs> so they beam down to the, I guess, the mine. They're like in the mine hole. Yeah. And uh, they meet this guy, Gorta. I'm Gorta. Who I guess was like part of the Duras scheme, but got left behind because his loaf is too gross to look at. Gorta marooned like Kirk was by Khan is totally chill down there. He was left with a (laughs) cup and nothing else. Totally not freaking out. He's just like (laughs) laying back in the cut on top of a pallet of shit. Like, yeah, he's trying to play angles with them. (laughs) Why is he not freaked out? I don't know. He has some, some idea of where the Dura sisters went and, uh, for the, you know, trade of them getting him out of there and also maybe not necessarily telling the Packleds what happened. He's gonna he's gonna lead them right to them. So we've got a little interlude where we travel off to the next fucking planet and and like Kemtar finds Worf having a uh having a bum out in ten forward and he's like, dude, what is up with your kid? And and we're just like, man, like I was, I didn't even know I had a kid. And then my wife dropped him off, but she'd like filled his head with all this bullshit about how he doesn't have to do any Klingon stuff. And so he's like, he's really torn between, you know, that promise she made to him and like the stuff that I'm trying to tell him. And I don't want to like, I don't want to like disrespect what she believed as a parent, but I also don't want him to like, miss his bar mitzvah and therefore not be a full full you know i don't want him to wind up being a back alley hitman like those (laughs) other klingons (laughs) yeah it's really like a glimpse into his possible future isn't it at this point kemtar is like let me take this kid i'm a like i know a great a great klingon re-education camp that we can put him in like he'll be around other klingons they'll do the whole thing and Worf is like, no, fuck that. I'm his dad. He has to be with me. Which is like the opposite of what Worf has said many times. Yeah. Worf has been on team get Alexander away from me for most of his life. Yeah. Like get him away from me and around a more like purely Klingon lifestyle. You could make the case that Eric is more of a Klingon than Alexander. <laughs> Eric can throw a water balloon like, yeah. like the hardest warrior. You think Alexander would throw a water balloon that way out of anger? No way. <laughs> Kemtar's like, dude, like this is not about what you want. It's about what's best for our family and what's best for Alexander. And what's best for him is being around Klingons. My, my, my love is a So the information that Court gave Riker leads them to this ship, right? This trading ship that's that loaded up on the ore from the mine where they just were previously. Yeah. And Riker is talking to this captain and he's like, look, we know you have this ore in your holds. I would like this ore. I'm going to trade you a half an ounce of medical gel for all this ore. And the guy cannot wait to accept this deal. I want to know more about this medical gel. Yeah. That seems like the good stuff. And so they're like, they're getting ready to do this. And Riker's like, guys, check this out. Watch this. <laughs> and uh, he has them beam the ore uh, off the bow of the ship into space. 
and then bullseye it with a phaser. And when it when it vaporizes into dust, the dust reveals that there is a Klingon bird of prey. Put a tractor beam on it. And uh, they fire up the FaceTime, and who is it but Lursa and Bator? How did you know? If this was a viable strategy against cloaked ships, why wouldn't this be something that they do all the time? Like, smoke show <laughs> the galaxy, and then all of a sudden you're seeing every cloaked ship that's there. Puff fat clouds into the galaxy? <laughs> Just glitter bomb the galaxy. <laughs> That's a viable strategy. Lursa and Bator always coordinate their outfits. Yeah. In a way that's really intense. <laughs> it's intense mammarily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, we're going to show a lot of boob, but in different ways. But then everything else will basically be the same. I love these characters. <laughs> they're fun. Yeah. The uh, They invite them over to the entrepreneur to like, uh, explain why they were stealing ore and like uh, answer for the accusation that they may have attempted to waste Worf. Yeah, and part of the evidence that Riker shows them is the dagger that was used. It bears the crest of your house. But what the hell is that other marking? That's the marking of a child that I have not yet had, says Lursa or Batur. Yeah. Which one? Which one is pregnant? Do we know? I don't really know which one's which. I'm going to take them both and then use the one that's right. Which is weird, right? Like, uh, she only learned she was pregnant that day. Like, this <laughs> knife this knife shouldn't exist. This appears to be either a counterfeit knife. You know what Fugazi is? Oh, Fugazi. For a future knife. So, smash cut to Alexander's quarters, where Kimtar has brandished a pistol and is looming over Alexander's bed, ready to shoot. It's a real fun take because he's just standing in the doorway and you just see like wharf hands come from behind the door yeah, and grab him and pull him back. Uh, Alexander, a super sound sleeper because there is like a full-on Star Trek fight happening six feet away from him <laughs> that includes yells and screams. Kemtar should have just closed that door behind him. Worf wouldn't have been able to do anything. Yeah, yeah, good thinking. Worf has like a hand around Kemtar's neck and his other hand up, ready to go in for the kill. And Kemtar's like, I am Alexander. And Worf is like, what? And he's like, I am your son. And Worf's like, no! <laughs> That's not true! That's impossible! Cut to Alexander, just... <laughs> he is out yeah <laughs> future alexander's like look at my loaf you know it to be true <laughs> yeah and it's like oh yeah like that is pretty much how klingons work yeah the loaf was there the whole time Worf just didn't <laughs> see it the loaf was right under your nose Worf. so Worf Worf gets him up and he's like man you're your future Alexander, what's that like? And future Alexander's like, it sucks. I never learned to be a warrior. I got into diplomacy. The diplomacy didn't work. I watched you die. And I'm here to change the future because I think if I can go into the past, like the story he tells is fucking crazy. He's like, I met this dude. This dude, this head in the box guy turned into, I can sell you time travel guy. 
<laughs> He's like, so I bought the time travel from him. I went back in time to visit my younger self. I set up the whole back alley brawl thing because I wanted to encourage my younger self to get into the whole warrior life. And it's not working. Hey, can you imagine being 40-something and like being like, you know when it went wrong was when I was like 11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You know, I think, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people who have that story. <laughs> there's a lot of people who look back to their collection of Star yeah. Trek shit in the school, <laughs> in the school uh, uh, yeah. case and... Uh, that was that my was that was that my was Batman origin story. I I watched <laughs> I watched my social standing die in that in that glass case in the fourth grade. You know what that story reminded me of was a time when I was probably around the same age, and I uh, spent about an hour in study hall one day drawing a bunch of ideas for new Star Trek characters. <laughs> And I showed them to a kid uh, oh, named no. Alex. Oh, I showed no. them to a kid named Alex who was like sometimes nice to me and sometimes really mean to me. Like he was like a kid who like sometimes you go over to his house and he just had a blast and then other times he'd just be a real shit. And I showed him this and I was like I was thinking I might send them into like Kenner or whoever made Star Trek figurines and uh and see if they'll if they'll make a couple of them. And and he's like you're you're talking about producing a Star Trek figure? Where are you going to get the raw materials, man? <laughs> <laughs> and then for like a year, he would see me on the playground and go, raw materials, raw materials. What? I'm not kidding. I did not expect that to be his cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> raw materials? Yeah. He made fun of me for not having a plan to secure raw materials when I was in elementary school. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's like a really sophisticated burn, but like, like I never considered the idea of raw materials, but I was also like not thinking I was going to be the one who figured out how to go to production with my Star Trek character designs. <laughs> Young Ben is like, now hold on a second. Uh, these action figures might have a significant dollar value attached to their IP. <laughs> yeah. Let me uh, let me just have you discuss the uh, raw materials issue with my CFO, uh, Mr. Burke. <laughs> wow. That's... God, we both had terrible fourth grade experiences. <laughs> Now everybody knows it's good to be a uh, precocious and creative young boy, but what our lives presuppose is maybe it sucks. <laughs> maybe it's a form of social suicide. <laughs> I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. Worf and Kimtar sort of have a reconciliation. Like, for some reason... Kimtar touching Worf and touching younger Alexander does not cause a paradox that destroys <laughs> them both and the entire universe. Like, yeah, and he also, sure dodged a bullet there. Yeah, and also Worf learns a valuable lesson about fatherhood from his 45-year-old son. <laughs> his adult son teaches him a, a, a strong lesson there. And, yeah. I like, where does he go? Like, 
Alexander asks where Kimtar went, and Worf is like, well, he went away, and you may not be seeing him for a very long time, approximately 40 years. <laughs> but, like, was a return trip part of the thing that Alexander bought from Head in a Box guy? Or did he just go off to live in exile? Smash cut to Kemtar beaming back aboard his ship and going, hey, did you uh, get the... Get the uh, <laughs> Warp signature stuff that we needed from the Borg ship to yeah. uh, go back to our time. Yep, we sure did. All right, let's go. Yeah, this was a thread not tied up. I also wondered if Kemtar was somebody that Worf knew of, which is established in the scene where we meet him. Where is the real Kemtar? Great point. If you're future Alexander and you're willing to kill young Alexander, <laughs> you have to assume real Kemtar is dead and future Alexander killed him, right? Oh, man. He's willing to do anything. He's that desperate. I also want to know the backstory on how he got that knife and brought it back with him. Yeah, that future knife is really cool. And also, like, the emotional banger dropped on Lursa and Bator about the future knife proving the pregnancy, like... That is also not tied up. No, not at all. If I were Bator, if I were Lursa, I would demand follow-up about that knife, right? Like, <laughs> how is that possible? It would, it would drive me nuts. You'd have to find the leaker, wouldn't you? Adam, when you edit that, I just hope you... Do like a ding and a and a for the for the correct version of the take. That's gonna be a fun behind the pod that uh, that everyone will get to experience. That'll be great. <laughs> done and done. So uh, so yeah, like Worf finds little Alexander practicing his kata in the uh, holodeck and explains that Kemtar is uh, is is gone and. Says like, hey, you remember the last episode where Wesley was deciding not to do what his father always wanted him to do? Well, I've uh, I've learned a lot from that episode and this one, and I'm going to support you no matter what your bliss is, son. So if you want to have your bar mitzvah, that's cool. And if you if you want to go on a different path, I will support you. All of the story tie-ups in season seven are just about universal parental love, right? Date. Traveler ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> Alexander ex machina. <laughs> it would have been great if Worf is like, look, I can't fully co-sign this plan you have for your life, but I know a guy, a guy with three fingers on each hand who might be a great teacher <laughs> for you. <laughs> and <laughs> how great would it be if, if like Alexander goes along with the Traveler too? I'd be totally into that. Fun. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, <laughs> I kind of liked it uh, from a weirdness standpoint, but I feel like I was really bored for yeah. most of it. Like it's kind of fun toward the end when it, like the the like who done it picks up and the like when like the second Lursa and Bator are there, it's like okay, this is fun to watch. But like totally. up until then, it's it's pretty fucking snoozeworthy. Lursa and Bator really up the fun factor in everything they do, yeah. I think. I I'm agree. with you, man. Alexander is not interesting enough to me to do episodes about. And his relationship to Worf, they really try hard to 
to give it substance, to give it bearing, to give it some mm-hmm. sort of gravity and stakes. But like the stakes to me in the episode is Worf almost dying a couple of times. It's never about Alexander's almost death or or his future. I just don't care. And I don't know how you correct that. Like, I wish I cared more about Alexander, but every time I just don't. Well, fortunately, we won't see him ever again, Adam. <laughs> That's it, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one thing we see over and over and over again, Ben, are, uh, are these pleas, are the pleas from our viewers to read their priority one messages. You want to do that? Let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Charlie. It is for Raz and Plavim. <laughs> Message goes like this. Thanks for the wild night of bike rides, podcast fluid, and debauchery at the Milwaukee show. Even though Plavim got too drunk to ride the tandem back, and I had to take him in the pedicab, <laughs> he did hand me a $100 bill with his inky hands to buy a P1, so go fuck yourself, Raz. <laughs> for real, though, come back anytime, guys. That is a sentiment that I definitely echo, the comeback anytime. Raz and Plavim ended up being a great fucking hang that night. They got yeah, us they were... shithouse drunk at that show. The one time yeah. I can I can say that we were very drunk on stage was, was that show. <laughs> yeah. uh, inky hands, totally true. Uh, like, uh, yeah, that... Plavim like, runs like an ink an ink store or something yeah yeah he uh the both of them all three of them were such a great hang i got to ride a tandem bike for the first time backseat in it mind you (laughs) uh it was great such a relief and a joy to hang out with those fellas they're great a treasured memory yeah adam our next priority one message is from patrick and it's for Lori. goes like this I know our marriage has been a bit Miles and Keiko recently, but there is no one else I'd rather be cruising around in a Previa with than you. Now that we've sealed the breach on Deck Nine, I can't wait to chart new star systems together. Happy birthday. Love, your somewhat android-like husband who is on a quest to be more than his program. Oh. That is so sweet. I, uh... Man, I really hope that the Miles and Keiko description is not accurate. I hope, I hope you guys are hanging in there. Uh, marriages are not always a hundred percent great, but uh, yeah. they're, they're worth the effort. I think. Well, you know, if you, I think the uh, the way I like to think about it is that I am very lucky to have a great partner in all of the challenges of marriage, you know? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Now, when you're trying to fix a broken marriage... (laughs) You're going to want to use some screws. Save every screw you take out of the marriage in a... (laughs) In a Tupperware tub, and keep and set it aside for later. When you reassemble the marriage, you'll have all the screws saved in a nice, easy-to-find place. <laughs> I like to sweep up the shattered remains 
in a room and dustpan. <laughs> That way, when I'm walking through a job site barefooted, I don't get any glass shards in my feet. Uh, well, if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to send a priority one message. Uh, you know what to do. You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. Uh, these are a great way to support the production of our program. Thanks, guys. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. Uh, I am going to give it to Picard uh, in this episode because of... You know he does. He has almost no ep to 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 get his Shimoda in, but he manages to he manages to really zing Worf when he says that uh, you know like the ship is uh, is just going to be hanging out for a few days. Hey, maybe we use it to recalibrate the weapons. <laughs> yeah, you remember that Worf? You remember that <laughs> shitty weapon recalibration you did earlier? What do you say we uh, we correct that problem? They're sort of lucky they haven't gotten into a firefight since then, right? I wish so bad we had gotten the scene of Worf walking down a hallway alone and going, oh, if if I hadn't had that, you and Data wouldn't have solved the medical problem on the ship. Ah, oh, I should have said that in the moment. Yeah, they would be dead. Hate it when you come up with the, with the, with the comeback 20 minutes later. Ugh. If he didn't shoot that bad torpedo, Picard would be dead and Data would probably have been eaten. <laughs> like that had to happen for Genesis to work, right? Yeah, data would have been would have been sprayed with corrosive venom and melted. Yeah, God, if data took the venom to the face, he'd be dead. Yeah, yeah. Ben, my Shimoda is shared between Lursa and Batur. No two characters yeah. chew the scenery quite like them, and not just because of their uh, poor orthodontia. <laughs> uh they 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 somehow find a way to play so broad and yet they don't ham and cheese their performance at all like they are they're just the right amount of seething and comical and they they totally capitulate to the idea like they constantly get found out like that's what Lursa <laughs> and Bator do they have they have a grand scheme that gets totally blown up in their faces and then they end up beaming on board the Enterprise to like eat their shit like no one eats more shit than Lursa and Bator but they are just the greatest doing it so I just love them yeah there's there's something so funny about characters that think that they're dope and then constantly get their pants pulled down they're like the uh the michael from the office of star trek the next generation also i want to know who knocked up lursa who knocked <laughs> up bator yeah i hope it wasn't that uridian that's gonna be an ugly baby Ugh. Ugh. i hope not who are our possibilities it could be uh it could be the dude they left down in the mine. I'd say he's probably suspect number one, based on it, where they left him. Could it be Gowron? Wow. Gowron, don't stick your dick in crazy. <laughs> Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. 
Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is Season 7, Episode 22, Bloodlines. Picard learns that he has a son and that the young man has been targeted for murder by an old enemy in search of Rowenge. 
in search of Omerta. <laughs> Do you remember this episode, Adam? Tell you what, Ben, if that truly is his son, he's got a date with a house fire in the not too distant <laughs> future, right? That's how all the Picard children go. <laughs> that is a Picard family curse. Yeah. Don't remember this episode, Ben. Uh, it's basically the only episode I remember from here into the end of the series is the finale. Oh, except the return of Rolarent. I do remember that episode. Yeah. But that's it. I, f- I feel like I've watched the series so many times, and the fact that seven episodes, the fact that season seven is full of episodes I basically don't remember is so weird to me. Because yeah. it would always be the season I watched most recently. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. You know what else doesn't make sense, is, Adam, is our legion of fans who go on Twitter using the hashtag greatestgen and talk to us. You're on there as at Cut for Time. I'm on there as at Benjamin R. You also have awesome communities on Reddit and Facebook. Uh, you just search for Greatest Gen on there. You'll probably find them. Uh, fun hangs all around. We've also got a Wikia with uh, extensive joke explanations of all kinds. Yeah, where do you find that Wikia, Ben? I think it's greatestgen.wikia.com. Check out the big brains on Ben. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the tail end of season seven is another good opportunity to just say, uh, if the show has meant anything to you, we would appreciate you helping in its ongoing production. You can do that by going to maximumfund.org slash donate. Get yourself on a subscription schedule that helps fund the ongoing production of our show for years to come. Put us in podcast prison. <laughs> uh, That's how you do think- it. We should thank Adam Ragusea, who makes tons of music for us for free, and Dark Materia, who who made the theme song of our show. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation starring Tom Hardy, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Benjamin, (laughs) you should know that I only was ever in poor Star Trek movies and not episodes of the television program. I'm a more prestigious actor than that, Benjamin. (laughs) You only visit syndication. I was born in it. (laughs) All right, hit and stop. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.